0: Well, hey everyone! I uh, hope you're doing well. I hope you're enjoying the uh, beautiful weather that we've uh, had over the past week or so. Um, also, very excited that uh, many of you uh, today, when you are watching this, you're going to be uh, doing it together. Um, you know, meeting in small groups, um, and that's just awesome. It uh, is so great that we are able to kind of do that in person together, um, meet with smaller groups of our missional families. Um definitely look forward to the day where we'll all be together, um, but this is, uh, this is a welcome blessing uh, in the interim, I, I, I trust. Um, and as we, uh, as we look at Acts uh, together uh, today, let's just open in prayer. Uh, Father, I just thank you so much uh, that you have allowed us to even meet in some small groups um, uh, today, and uh, I just pray that that would be a real blessing um, to everybody. Uh, thank you so much that you are in control of this whole situation, um, that you have always been in control, and that even in these difficult circumstances, that your word continues to go forth and your word still has power. um, And we trust that we are going to look back on on this time and and see it as, um, see some of the good in it. And and we just know that you're you're at work, um, even when we don't fully understand what's going on. Um, So, Lord, I just pray that this morning as we uh, open again the book of Acts, that you would uh, open our hearts and minds, um, and uh, may we hear from you uh, today. As we pray all these things in Christ's name, amen. You know, as we've gone through the past few months, and uh, I've prepared a a couple of these video teachings now, I've intentionally tried to avoid talking too much about COVID-19 and relating everything back to this current circumstance we find ourselves in. And I'm not entirely sure why that is. I think I, I partly just got the sense that, I mean, I was tired of hearing about it. Everybody's kind of tired of hearing about it. Um, and so trying to give us a reprieve from that, or maybe it's just because I'm, I'm so looking forward to it being like completely in the past um, that I'm trying to, you know, make it feel like it, it, it's not actually here whatever the reason i'm going to break down a little bit today and and use it to start us off with a bit of an illustration and i i wonder how much mileage preachers and teachers are going to get out of this over the next few years Um, i'm sure i'm not going to be the last one to use it as an illustration but anyways what i'm getting at is that that when we when i think back on how this like whole thing developed right um you know i i was up north in fort mcmurray for a lot of the winter uh, working. And i would hear news reports and you know you kind of hear vaguely this about this virus that's kind of offshore it's it's another country's problem and but it's growing and growing and moving and moving and and all of a sudden we're talking about trying to contain it and trying to stop it and trying to implement things to control it um eventually like it leads to some shocking announcements like we all know that we're going to shut down borders we're going to stop sports you know we're going to stop large gatherings but I remember particularly at some point in this timeline, um, officials coming, you know, coming out and saying, and, and maybe it was Dr. Tam or others, but the, the attitude coming out was like, we, we can't stop this anymore. Like we've, we've passed the point where we, this can be contained. This is now a pandemic, um, it is coming. And like you can't, we can't do anything to stop it. All we can do is try to slow the spread and slow the impact, but like it's happening. And I think, you know, there's some parallels there with with kind of the themes that we see in Acts about the gospel. I mean, the gospel is a much more positive thing, but like in the same way, you know, Luke describes it as something that can't be stopped. The word of the Lord is going forward um, and it's going to no matter what. Um, And we see this like Christ was crucified by the Jews. They tried to stop him, but he came back to life. I mean, the Jewish leaders arrested the disciples, but they refused to stop preaching. And then they murder Stephen, but then his persecutor Saul is converted. And then even racial divides and geography can't hold this message back. Like the word of the Lord is going forward and and it can't be stopped. And this theme is something that we've talked about before. But again, as we come to Acts chapter 11 and 12, it rings true. And I can't help but be reminded of of, um, the words of Gamaliel in Acts chapter 5. You know, when he's talking to the to the council that are trying to decide what to do with the disciples, and they're sort of prophetic words, he says, So in the present case I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may even be found fighting against God. And this is really like Luke's description in Acts is like, yeah, like Gamelio's right, like they're going to find themselves fighting against God because God is the main actor of this story. And he, by his spirit, is the one who's working to spread his word and to accomplish his purposes. And he can't be stopped. And this theme comes out again strong in in the passages that we're looking at. Um, so we're looking at Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through to the end of the chapter, and then all of chapter 12. And again, if you haven't read it, maybe just hit pause, read it together with those that you're watching this with, um, and then we'll, we'll dive in. And so let's start in Acts chapter 11, verse, uh, verse 19. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews alone but there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also preaching the Lord Jesus and the hand of the Lord was with them and a large number who believed turned to the Lord and so like in this in this part of the chapter we kind of see a continuation of what Darcy was talking about last week like it's a it's a tag on to that to that storyline like you'll remember that um, at the end of chapter seven, the story of Stephen, that the church is persecuted and the church is scattered from Jerusalem. And then here Luke tells us that some of these men have, uh, men and women have headed north and eventually made it to Antioch. And there, these believers who had been scattered, they're sharing about Jesus as they go, <clears throat> but mostly to Jews only, not to Gentiles. But, you know, and, and that's probably because like they haven't heard about what's gone on with um Cornelius and Peter and, and the council in, 11, in chapter 11, um, but there's some who are moved by the spirit or are or, or in kind of in accordance with, with the spirit are, are sharing um, to the Gentiles as well. They're like, yeah, like we're Greek speakers. Let's share this to Greeks. Um, and uh, and the, the spirit is obviously at work. Um, and, and the, he's obviously prompting them to, to kind of share this good news with a wider audience. Like Luke interprets it for us. Like the hand of the Lord was with them and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And so we see this establishment, um, regardless of language divide, regardless of, of race divide, like this establishment of a church in Antioch, uh, a largely Gentile city of probably about half a million people at this time. And it, it eventually is going to become a fixer for the church, a, a home ground, a new epicenter of faith. And when the Jerusalem church hears about what's going on in Antioch, they send Barnabas up there to encourage them. And then he goes, he, he says, like, keep on it, keep going. He goes and finds Saul, brings him back. And then they spend a year together in Antioch, teaching the disciples and training them and establishing the church there. So they're like, like what, what had been intended for evil um, and and the the Jews attempt to squash the church in Jerusalem by killing Stephen and breaking out and and this persecution breaking out like subsequently like God grabs a hold of Saul's life he shows the Jerusalem church the Gospels for all people regardless of language race heritage and although like Stephen's murder didn't end up scattering the church the Lord is going to use it as part of his taking the gospel to the Gentile world and it's those that were scattered that are establishing this new. This new like uh, center of faith in Antioch, and it's going to become an important city in the future. Um, in in the chapter, in the later chapters of Acts, and then like we see in verse twenty six, there's this great little nugget where um, like Luke tells us that at Antioch is the first place that the disciples are called Christians, because they've been given this like people have recognized that there's this new identity. Um, that, that they're not like they're, they're Jews, but they're not like entirely t- tied to Judaism. It's something different. And so we start to see them grow out and have this, have this distinct identity um, from Judaism. And so again, the word is going forward. Um, nothing nothing can stop it. And, and, and the Lord is at work through his people to spread his gospel. And then Luke pivots in, in chapter 12. And well, he said, basically he says like, meanwhile, while all of this happening is happening at Antioch, you know, the, the church is still experiencing persecution in Jerusalem. And he opens uh, and closes chapter 12, kind of bookends it by talk, telling the story about, uh, about Herod, how he's trying to persecute the church, trying to kill the apostles, um, but then ultimately like ends up being struck down by God. Um, so he bookends the story um, with the story of Herod. Now, this would be Herod Agrippa. Um, he's the grandson of Herod the Great. Um, so Herod the Great would have been the, the ruler of this region uh, during the time of Christ's birth. Um, so, so, you know, uh, opposing Jesus, opposing Christians kind of runs in the family. Like Herod, Herod the Great would have been the one who tried to kill Jesus at birth. He issued that order, um, and then Herod Agrippa is trying to kill Jesus' disciples, Christ's followers, um, later on. And apparently his motivation is political, like he's he's trying to win favor with the Jews. There still is this animosity between Jews and and the Christian movement, and they want it stamped out. And so Herod kind of describes to us how, or sorry, Luke describes to us how Herod had James, the brother of John, um, you know, one of the 12 apostles, not not the brother of Jesus. Uh, He's one of the sons of Zebedee, one of the sons of thunder. Um, Herod has James killed, put to death by the sword. Um, Apparently the Jews are quite pleased with this. And so he's going to try, you know, for round two, try to do this uh, with Peter as well. And so it's around the time of Passover during the days of unleavened bread. So the seven days after Passover and Herod arrests Peter, puts him in jail and he, and he's going um, to kill him um, after the, the days of unleavened bread are over. And if we think about this, like this time would have been pretty scary for the church. I mean, one of their key leaders is in prison. Um, and in their minds, like he's probably as good as dead. Uh, they know what has just happened to James. And there's no reason to believe that Peter's outcome, uh, his fate is going to be any different. Um, it also kind of echoes back to the whole arrest and crucifixion of Jesus. I mean, they're in Jerusalem. Um, it's the Jews that are opposing uh, him. And then this is all happening at the same time of year, like at Passover. Like it probably feels a little bit like history repeating itself. Like, oh man, here we go again. And so what does the church do? They they pray. They pray desperately for this God who has been, been at work among them the whole time. The God who raised Jesus from the dead to act again and to save Peter. And he does. Like an angel appears to Peter in jail. He breaks the chains, leads him out. And Peter, when it's happening, doesn't even believe it's real. He thinks he's seeing a vision, but then he comes to and he's like, oh no, like God has actually showed up and rescued me. Um, and then so he goes to the house of, uh, of one of the disciples. There's a bunch of people met there, uh, gathered to pray. And <laughs> the next few verses, like in in chapter 12, verses 13 to 17, like it's kind of this humorous description of, uh, of what's going on. Like Peter's knocking at the door, Rhoda, the servant girl comes to the door and is like, Oh, it's Peter. Like and but in her excitement doesn't even open the door to let him in, just runs off to tell everybody else who then are like, no, no, you're crazy. Like that's not actually, there's no way that like our prayers have actually been answered here. And all the while, like is just knocking at the door, like, Hey, it's me. Let me in. Um, and then they finally, they finally do open the door, realize it's him, and they, and he tells them everything, what's gone on, this incredible story, and that whole, like, kind of humorous exchange, I think there's something kind of relatable about how Peter is like, no, this is just a vision at first, and the other believers are kind of in disbelief and denial, you know, like, as if they, when they were praying, they're like, no, like, God isn't actually going to answer this, and And how many of us feel the same way when when we pray for big things you know like wondering is god actually going to move on our behalf like i know most times that i read this story i find it all sort of funny because i totally can relate to that that challenge and that that disbelief sort of that um that whole thing but this time around when i read it you know there was another thing that stuck out to me um and it's not right in that passage where it's describing what happened but it's It's actually verse two of of the chapter, chapter 12, verse two, where Luke tells us that Herod had James, the brother of John put to death with a sword. And that struck me because I was thinking like, why, why did God not save James? Like, did they not pray for him? Like, I I bet the church did, but, but James dies and, and Peter is miraculously saved. And I, I don't know why, I mean, I can speculate, um, but the truth is Luke doesn't really tell us and and we may never know. Um, but, when I, but when I read that, I, I mean, if I use my imagination, man, the doubt that comes later in the chapter, like is even more relatable. Like how many of the disciples as they're in prayer in the back of their minds are wondering like, you didn't save James. So why would you save Peter? Now my goal, like my goal today isn't really to resolve that, that question of like, you know, why does he save some and not others? And, um, there's, there's plenty of great resources, uh, to address that elsewhere. And it's an important conversation. Um, but like Luke doesn't elaborate here, whether or not this is actually what's happening, like, um, whether this tension is actually real in, in, in Acts 12, like I might be, I might be reading that into the text a little bit. Um, and I, and I realize that when we start to talk about this, like how our prayer interacts with God's sovereignty, like why he does save some and and not others, like why he allows this or that to happen. I'm dipping my toes in a much larger conversation, like one, again, that I can't give a full treatment to today. But again, one that is a very important conversation to be had. Um, because like for many, this is a sticking point of faith. Like it's the thing that prevents them from coming in or it's the thing that drives them away. Like for example, earlier this year, there's a, a man named... Uh, John Steingard, he's the former lead singer of, of a Christian band called Hawk Nelson. And he this year publicly announced that he no longer believes in God. Um, and in an interview I watched, like, among a few other things, but like this issue was this, this problem of, of suffering, like why does God allow his kids uh, to live in a comfortable life while others across the world, like in John's words, are they're alone, they're naked, they're crying in the forest, they're dying. Like this, this broke John and he felt that he couldn't reconcile it. And I think that probably like we know people who could relate to this or we ourselves can, this tension that we feel. Um, and all I really want to point out today, though, is like for the believers in Acts 12, like whatever happened to James, like what if there was really this tension, this like challenge, this, this struggle that they were, they were wrestling with. Whatever happened there with James, it did not stop them from praying to God for Peter. They knew God was their only hope. Um, yeah, they had watched like Stephen um, be murdered, James be murdered. And, but they had also seen the sick healed. They had also seen the indwelling power of the spirit. And, and they had seen Christ himself raised from the dead. They knew that God was at work, that he was in control, and that he had the power to act. And so they kept asking him to they didn't necessarily know the outcome um, but they went to their father and you know for me when i don't understand what god does i have to trust in who he is and that's not really meant to be like a trite little phrase to avoid getting to some of these hard questions it's like it's a very practical reality i mean i look at acts and there's a bunch of confusing narrative in there like Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, Stephen's death, James's death. I mean, even even King Herod's death at the end of this chapter. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do with that all the time. And there's stuff in our current times, like things like COVID, things like social injustice, economic inequality, inequality, natural disasters. Like, I don't know what to do with it all the time. It doesn't always make sense to me. But. I I choose to trust the Lord and it's not a blind trust in spite of all these things like, Oh, I'm just going to grin and bear it. Um, it's a trust. Like I trust God because Jesus trusted him and I am convinced that Jesus is who he said he was for a variety of reasons. I trust that the gospels are an accurate account of his life, his death and his resurrection. And that there was an event of cosmic significance in the first century that changed the lives of these disciples that we read about in Acts, that caused them to persevere in devotion to Christ in spite of sometimes very difficult circumstances. In their time of need, they turned to God, believing that he could and and he would act. And while sometimes, you know, narrative um, like Acts can be a little bit tricky to pull principles from, because Luke, in many cases, he's just describing what's going on rather than trying to pull out principles for life. Um, I don't think it's a hard leap for us to see how, how the church acts in this um, circumstance is, is a model for us. That when it comes to um, you know, our hope for our own lives, um, our hope for the ministry of Citizens Church in Elmira, we can't know how God, who is ultimately in control, is going to um, work in and through us. But we need to trust him. Like it may not be how we pictured it. It may be completely different. As we pray for our neighbors, we pray for our communities, we pray for each other, for our our own spiritual, mental, and physical health. We don't always know how God is going to act, but we trust that he will. And when we don't understand what he does, we can trust in who he is. We can trust that this life is not ultimate, that there's a bigger story at play, and that no matter what, his word will go forward. We've seen that over and over again in Acts. Like nothing seems to be able to stop the word of the Lord from spreading. Persecution, threats, murder, race, geography, in spite of all of it, we continually see Luke repeating phrases like he does in chapter 12, verse 24, where he says, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. And the encouragement I also get from Acts is that, like, God uses us in accomplishing all of this work of his. We aren't meant to sit back and just watch him do it all. We're meant to roll up our sleeves and play a part in the story. Like, whether we're like we're living in a situation like Saul and Barnabas were, where they're teaching and discipling and, and coaching people over the long haul like they did in Antioch as they established that first Gentile church. Whether you're in that sort of situation or you're more like those that were gathered In Mary's house, in chapter 12, fervently praying, desperately praying for God to move. Like, no matter what, God calls us to do those kinds of things and get our hands dirty, so to speak, and to join him in the work of spreading his word. And then know at the end of the day that we trust it's by his spirit, by his power, that the work is accomplished, that we get to just participate like a young boy or girl working alongside their father, learning his craft. So let's be a body that trusts the Lord, that that stays close to him in prayer, that participates in his work and teaches others to do the same. And so as we consider the example of of those that we read about in in chapter 11 and 12, I just want to close um, by reading some words from, from Isaiah in chapter 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing the seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are at work in the world. That you are sovereign, that you are in control, and we acknowledge that. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes what you do does not make sense to us. Sometimes it's confusing and it's hard to swallow. It's hard to know um, what to do with it. And, yeah, Lord, just help us to trust you in spite of that. Help us to trust you not, not blindly, but to trust in who Jesus was, into in and in what He did. To be convinced for good reason that that you are trustworthy, even when particular actions don't make sense. But Lord, we've seen this example of how you have taken your word forward and acts through your people. You have given them boldness to pray big prayers. You have given them uh, encouragement in, in the ways that you have acted and done miraculous things. And we just pray that you would do the same for us. Give us that boldness. Give us that encouragement. Um, give us that fervor. Uh, to pray and to ask big things but to trust that you are ultimately in control and that's okay that's a good thing um, to not be bothered by that but to but to be excited by that we love you lord um, and we want your gospel to go forward in almira in the same way that it went forward um, in uh in acts and so we just give that into your hands and trust that you're going to work in and through us uh, we give our lives to you in christ's name we pray Amen.